At the well, Jesus saw the depth of the heart of a broken woman and loved her into conversion and mission. Likewise, we long to encounter the one who loves, redeems, and fulfills us. And you're invited to join in. This is the podcast at the well. Welcome back, everyone, to season five, episode four to the podcast at the well. My name is Rachel, and I'm here with Erica. And we are excited for this next episode as we enter into the mystery of the visitation. So to start us off, just as we normally do, I'll ask Erica to pray. Thank you, Rachel. So in this prayer, I just wanted to repeat the words of the Magnificat that Mary speaks in Luke's gospel. And she actually speaks these as a response to how Elizabeth greets her. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Behold, from now on, all ages will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is from age to age on those who fear him. He has shown might with his arm. He has dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down rulers from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. The hungry he has filled with good things, the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped Israel, his servant, remembering his mercy, according to the promise to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Erica. And this is such a great mystery of the visitation. There's so much significance in this one moment in scripture. And it celebrates this prayer that you just recited for us that Mary proclaimed to Elizabeth and those in her household. The church actually believes that Mary arrived at Elizabeth and Zachariah's house in the evening, hence why the Magnificat is actually recited in the evening prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours of the Church. And it's probably the only time that we really see this expression of Mary's interior coming alive. And it really displays her humility, which is the next step in Dr. Shree's book, which is step three, magnify the Lord, the humility of Mary. And we go through scripture passage from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 to 55. Mary is going to souls, bearing Jesus. We see St. John the Baptist established as the precursor of salvation. We see him being cleansed of original sin. We see Mary entering into that office of the giver of grace. And we also see St. Elizabeth being filled with the Holy Spirit and declaring Mother Mary as the mother of her Lord and therefore being the queen mother and the mother of God. And there's just so much found in this one passage that we're going to be talking about today. All of this as depicted through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to dive in a little bit more. So Erica, what were your thoughts when you read this particular chapter? Well, like you said, it's definitely loaded with so many thoughts. And it in itself, I just realized, is a short passage from the Gospel of Luke, the visitation, but it captures a large amount of time. We know from Dr. Sri's book here 
that this would have been a long journey to go to Elizabeth's place in the hill country, and it would have taken around four or five days, and Mary is pregnant. She's in her first trimester of pregnancy. So making this dangerous and difficult journey would not have been easy. We know that she would be comforted by the presence of our Lord and possibly St. Joseph, but it doesn't mean that it was not a treacherous trip regardless, right? I think it's really interesting that we can extract so much from so little that is said in this uh, narrative from Luke's gospel. What struck me was one of the first parts that Dr. Sri mentions in the book, and it's basically this line that says, Mary's going in haste points to her joy and her wonder over what God is accomplishing in Israel and in her own life by sending the Messiah King. And this is a divine plan in which she and Elizabeth are now intimately bound through their experience of miraculous motherhood and the children they bear. At first, I remember this striking me as odd. Mary gets this amazing message that she will conceive, bear the Son of God. But right after, her very next action is to go in haste to the hill country to her cousin Elizabeth and make this four-day trip. And I think now you can imagine all kinds of reasons for that, like the fact that she must be in awe herself, that her cousin is pregnant at this old age. It's interesting that the author points out that she could not have known Elizabeth was pregnant, except if the Holy Spirit and the angel told her, right? Because Elizabeth was in seclusion during this time. So Mary receives this divine knowledge of her cousin's miraculous pregnancy. And I think that this is a really interesting angle that, that Edward III takes because he describes it as a journey of joy where Mary can celebrate with eagerness and haste this amazing thing that God has done in her own life and also celebrate what God has done in Elizabeth's life. And just uh, while the, the chapter doesn't go into this point in extreme detail, I do think as a woman reading this, something that was a really nice thought was that these two women are rejoicing over a uniquely feminine thing like motherhood and like fertility. Their great news of what God has done in their life is intimately wrapped up with bearing children. And I remember thinking when I was younger and reading this, that these two pregnancies could not be more different. In one case, someone is not expecting at all to get pregnant and they're young and they are getting pregnant, obviously, through this miraculous virginal way. And in another case, someone has long given up on the ability to get pregnant and is conceiving in their old age and witnessing this favor that God has bestowed. But I really love how in both stories, unexpected pregnancy and infertility, there is this amazing way in which God is accompanying them and actually miraculously with them through his grace that he provides and uh, through these miraculous signs that he provides. One of the things that I think Dr. Sri had said in the chapter, which I never thought about before, was that Mary didn't ask Gabriel at the Annunciation for this sign. But because she's so humble, the Lord just gives her a sign, right? He says, you will know that you will bear the Messiah and all this is true because your cousin Elizabeth has miraculously gotten pregnant in her old age when no one thought it was possible. So I really like this idea of Mary rushing over in haste and getting to see firsthand the sign that she didn't even ask to see, but now God has blessed her with seeing. I think that their meeting is pretty 
amazing. And that itself gives birth to these really prophetic, amazing conversations that come out of these two women's exchange. Yes, it's this epic moment when we see these two women come together, so full of signs of wonder, signs of life, signs of beauty. And the truth is also found in the fact that in Luke 1 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Even before we get there, there was something that I had found in a writing from Frank Duff, who was one of the founders of the Legion of Mary. And he reflected on this journey that Mary went in haste to Elizabeth. And he talked about the time that this was happening and that it would have been springtime and that everywhere the valleys and the slopes would have been clothed in flowers and in promise of fruit, bearing life, giving life. These two women in these miraculous pregnancies, everything is about life. If ever there was a moment in scripture that really highlighted the importance of motherhood and the dignity of life, it would be in this moment here where God is just springing, pardon the pun, with the imagery of being alive and everything coming to life as he himself enters into the world. Exactly. And as I thought about the way the cousins greet with such affection, Mary and Elizabeth, it was a nice thought for me, especially during Advent, when we read about John the Baptist, that this image will mirror the way John the Baptist and Jesus will be so close as cousins. One will literally proclaim the presence of the other and point to the other and Jesus will deeply grieve when John is in prison and when he's beheaded. And um, yeah, it was actually just a really nice family connection that, you know, came up in the New Testament and shows you the interconnectedness of these two, specifically because of how God is acting and moving in their lives. Yeah, you know, one of the thoughts that actually came from reading a part of the city of God which again is private revelation. And in that private revelation, there is mention that by Mary going to her cousin, she's offering her service to Elizabeth. But in return, uh, something that's overlooked is that Elizabeth is actually giving her family in service to Mary and Jesus as well. So Elizabeth, if you you can imagine this is her first pregnancy after being infertile her entire life. And she is now saying to Mary in her greeting from what the angel told Zechariah that her son is going to be given back to God. So Elizabeth in this miraculous motherhood already understands that her son doesn't belong to her. Her son is actually a son of God who is going to immediately go into service, even from the moment of conception till his death is going to be in service to God. It is never going to be a situation where her and Zechariah are going to plan his life. But in fact, it's already predestined for him, if you will. And that's what uh, Elizabeth is willing to do for God, for Mary, for Jesus. It's such a beautiful moment to think that they are actually serving one another because of their faith in God. And it's the, the faith of these women that actually um, have given them this, this blessing of being a part of God's plan. There is nothing here that they're keeping for themselves both women are willing to give their entire lives in service to God and their children. And both of them are humble enough to understand that the purpose of these children are far greater than they can even imagine. I really like that. I'm glad you, you brought that up because it made me think about 
Yes, Elizabeth, accepting this mission and this child and giving the child back to God and then all the painful ways that prefigures so many realizations for Mary and Joseph at the finding in the temple where they know that their son is going to be hated and rejected by so many and will also change the hearts of Israel, but then obviously at the time of the Passion be called to something more horrific than they can imagine. And and they are just called to, yes, like you said, give up their children, give them up to the will of God and know that that is the best possible thing. Yeah, yeah great uh, mirroring what those two cousins meeting in the womb will go through, right, in different ways. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's such a beautiful moment for women too. Like I, I really thought that this was, if anything, God's ode to women as St. John Paul II's letter to women describes and that feminine genius like when you think about it these women play such a pivotal role in his plan of salvation and there's so much unveiled here in the feminine genius where the receptivity is there there's no hesitation on mary's part to go to elizabeth as the spirit prompts her there's this openness and reception of guests into each other's miracles so they're so willing to receive it and believe it like they believe what one another is also saying and there's no jealousy between them like there's just this beautiful faith that they both share where there's no doubt in what has been said to them by god and what the holy spirit wants to say to them or through them even and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the lord and then we hear the sensitivity portion of the feminine genius here because elizabeth is so aware and she says for as soon as i heard the sound of your greeting the child in my womb leapt for joy. So there's this understanding and that there's movement within her. And there's a reason for her to be aware of the movements of God within her and the Holy Spirit talking through her and proclaiming that Mary is the mother of God when she greets her. And so you have this generosity as well of both of them just giving everything to one another and caring for one another and loving one another and the serving one another. We also obviously have the maternity of the feminine genius in there as well. And so there's just so much miracles happening in this moment. And it's interesting that this is also the theme of World Youth Day or was the theme of World Youth Day this past year. Um, Mary going with haste to her cousin. I just found it so hard to like actually rein in my thoughts as I was reading this chapter. There was so much going through my mind. But yeah, I'm sure there's so much more and there will be more as time goes on. What a rare moment that this was. I like the way Dr. Shree says, Mary being the first human messenger of the good news. Yeah, she she yeah. brings the gospel. The whole of the gospel is Christ. It's really cool to see how she brings the gospel in her womb and uh, delivers that good news. Just like we are supposed to be when the Holy Spirit gives us the gift of evangelization. We can't keep that good news to ourselves. Right? We actually want to go and share it and bring the joy and the grace that it can bring to other people's lives as well. Like... The woman at the well, who we maybe haven't referenced in a while, but that uh, that I realized is her very first act to go out, leave her water jug and go tell the town what wonders God has done for her. Yeah, there's oh, there's just so much like I have to like slow it down because I know it's only a half an hour episode. <laughs> Right, right. Well, maybe maybe for me to pick out, and I should say, obviously, we probably won't have the scope and the time to go through it, but Dr. Sri really dissects 
all of Elizabeth's wards to Mary and then the Magnificat that Mary prays. He goes through the etymology and the meaning and the lessons embedded in those. But I really enjoyed the way that he pointed out the humility. That is the step after all, right? Like you said, the third step is humility. But to start with, he actually talks about the beautiful way that the women model humility for each other and to each other. So starting with Elizabeth, he says, and I didn't really think about this before, but with Elizabeth being the much older cousin, it would have been normal when Mary first arrived at the door for Mary to greet her because she's the younger, right? And she's deferring in that moment to the elder. And yet it's Elizabeth, I guess, bursting from the prophecy that she has received from the Holy Spirit about Mary, who greets the younger cousin first. And Elizabeth proclaims with this loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So I really love that questioning that Elizabeth has where she's not hating herself or, you know, being self-deprecating, but she's actually saying, I'm not worthy to have the mother of God come to see me. And she's really, really emulating humility so well. It just leads really naturally into the other point, which is this amazing concept of humility that Mary shows in the words of the Magnificat. So Dr. Sri talks about this really nice difference between two kinds of humility. So Dr. Sri says that after Elizabeth bestows so many accolades on Mary and these titles and these praises, one would think to themselves, how should Mary answer? But she actually turns all of the attention back towards God, takes it away from herself, and she echoes in herself what he calls the difference between verbal humility and experiential humility. So in verbal humility, it could be easy to say, I'm weak, I'm a sinner, and I need God in my life, right? That just sounds like a line that we say because we're supposed to, or a theoretical concept. But he said what Mary experiences is completely different because at the core of her being, she knows the truth about how weak she really is. And she's actually totally dependent on God because she lives in herself, the message from John's gospel where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I just think about the beauty of the way Mary really echoes those words. She knows that she was not kept from original sin of her own accord. She didn't initiate Gabriel to come to her and then bestow this grace upon her as the mother of God. So it was all given, right? It was all just gift. All she had to do was receive. So she sees her littleness and her smallness before God and actually only when she realizes how completely dependent on him she is. And that is the way in which she is led to say that all will call her blessed, not because of her own merits, but because of what God has done in her. Like you really alluded to, well, it's this beautiful imagery of women in such an amazing way, building each other up, praising each other, pointing out what God has done in their lives. To the point where there is just no room for hatred or contempt or comparison or jealousy. I'd heard a while ago in a woman's talk that someone said, this story could have gone totally wrong if Elizabeth spent her whole life questioning why she wasn't picked to be the mother of God, right? And she's like, maybe Mary should have the forerunner, John, and then I should have been the one. But she's really not sitting there focusing on what she doesn't have. She's not jealous that her 
teenage cousin got pregnant much faster and she's been trying with Zechariah her whole life. She's instead looking at the uniqueness of her life, her suffering, her cross, and then her miracle and seeing how it was all handpicked and given to her for God to work his purposes, which are actually greater than anything she could have imagined. Amen. Well said. <laughs> There's just so much we can learn from these two women and their humility and being able to understand how little we can do and how little we are. And it is only by God's grace that we're able to accomplish anything. And it's just all gift. And they show us that if we receive that kind of gift, how we are to give it away as well for it to multiply and for God to be magnified. Such a good, good part of scripture to be reflecting on. There's just so much in it that we can continually come back to it and learn even more. Just one other thought that kind of came to mind. We remember that in this moment, Zechariah is actually silenced and we don't hear from Zechariah at all in this in this moment. And what I kind of reflected on as I read through it is that Zechariah being the representative of God as a priest was really not needed in this moment. His voice wasn't needed. And perhaps him being silent was because God himself was present. So God didn't need a representative to be there in this moment. It was God's voice that we wanted to hear. And that was done through the Holy Spirit working through Mary and Elizabeth, that his voice was able to clearly come out and speak through the women and teach us what God's plan is at this point in time and what could be revealed to us at this point in time through the words of these women inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's definitely the first time I've ever seen it that way. And I'm glad you pointed it out because actually just recently in the gospel for the weekday masses, we read the story of Zechariah and meeting the angel Gabriel and then being rendered mute, right? So it is really nice to think about, in my mind, maybe how he's reacting to the visitation and he can't say anything. But maybe that's a good thing because though he's a high priest in the temple, he is now actually just silenced before the wonder of the mother of God and God himself coming to visit him and his wife. And then, like you said earlier, Maybe also he isn't needed as the priestly representative because the Holy Spirit, in a very feminine, genius way, is directly speaking to these women. So we know that Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit and is the spouse of the Holy Spirit, so very interconnected. But in order for Elizabeth to even know that she was pregnant and sort of intuit what had happened to her, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and the child in her womb leapt for joy and gave her those words, which she utters right before Mary when she praises her. So yeah, it's just uh, amazing to see the spirit choosing in this moment to act in the lives of these women and in their voices. And that reminded me just of the last cool fact that I was going to draw on was to maybe go back to the Old Testament later when I have time this Christmas season and read about two other women that I had heard about briefly, but didn't know much about. So Dr. Sri mentions that when Elizabeth says to Mary, blessed are you among women, and her words are immortalized in the prayer of the Hail Mary, she's actually not the only woman ever in scripture to be blessed and given that title. He points out that Jael and Judith are actually also notable women for these reasons. So from the book of Judges, he says that Jael is the one who defeats a pagan general who was oppressing God's people. And so Deborah, the prophet, actually says, most blessed of women be Jael. And similarly, Judith, in the book of Judith, 
is this warrior woman who defeats a commander who was trying to take over the Jewish town. And Uzziah says to her, oh, daughter, you are blessed by the most high God above all women on earth. So it's a really nice image to think of these two political and physical warrior women actually defending Israel and being instrumental in Israel winning over their enemies during their times and during their particular contexts. But obviously, they are just foreshadows of Mary as the greatest woman and the greatest of all the saints, who actually, like Dr. Sri says, will go on to defeat all of Israel's enemies, and she will go on to win a victorious battle for God. But it's interesting that she starts by engaging in this battle just by agreeing to be the mother of God. So through this very ordinary thing, which maybe women assent to all the time, like agreeing to have the child that you're pregnant with, she's actually accomplishing God's will and is accomplishing a much greater mission than those two women in the Old Testament. Because by having the Savior, she's participating in God's saving plan for Israel, which starts with bearing Jesus in her womb. It's a really nice biblical fact for me to just look at the way God raises up women as heroines in the history of Israel and then raises up the ultimate woman, the new Eve, as the one who will defeat then not just Israel, but the ultimate enemy, right? The serpent. She will crush the devil and she has the ability to actually overcome darkness because of what Christ has done in her. Yeah, I loved that part. I really did enjoy reading that part. I, I never thought of it that way, but it, I always love typology. So I like it when they go back into the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it also made me think about even modern day times where right now we have this type of feminism that is a little distorted, I would say right now, where we think that we have to almost be like men in order to be recognized as strong. And it's almost the opposite of humility, if you think about it, really. But here you have these strong warrior women in the Old Testament, which is great, but they're actually not the one that has the greatest role and the greatest mission. The greatest role and the greatest mission was actually given to a simple girl in a very simple way, which is to be a mother and how she's going to defeat the enemy in this case is actually by fulfilling who she was called to be by God in such a simple way and just answering to her core identity of being a feminine woman, allowing God to use her femininity to bear the child Jesus. And what's interesting here is that it gives such reverence to who we are as women and what we are capable of doing when we are doing what our body is created to do, which is to be a co-creator with God. And so in this role, there's also so much strength in being a mother for God in the sense that if we raise our children in the faith, if we raise our children to be good and faithful servants of God, that they will be a stronger weapon against the enemy than any type of achievement or accomplishment or goal that we could set for ourselves uh, in this lifetime. We would be blessed for generations to come if we're able to teach our children the way of God. So yeah, I just thought it was just so beautiful for that whole um, discussion on, you know, Jael and Judith and 
it really encouraged me to learn more about the women in the Bible. Who knows? Maybe that's another season. But <laughs> Inspiration. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. Is there any other last thoughts that you might have for this particular episode? No, I think we we highlighted what stood out. But, uh, you know, because I can't resist the pun. Seems like <laughs> this chapter is just impregnated with so many little virtues and things that we can take away. But we have to digress so that we can just share the key things with you here. Uh, I know there's just so much more. So I really encourage everyone to read through the scripture passage, see what strikes you and continue to reflect on this every day when you read the Magnificat and pray it. Hopefully we can grow in the virtue of humility as we pray this particular prayer of Mary. And on that note, we will end as we usually do with our God incidents. So I've just been really blessed lately by the ability to reflect on the readings from Mass. I got to briefly rekindle a tradition that I think Rachel and I know well from churches that we've been around in Scarborough and other places that there's a tradition of dawn Christmas Masses. So basically just going to Mass for nine days leading up to Christmas at a very penitential time of 5.30 in the morning. And while I didn't do all of these days, I remember thinking to myself that the mornings that I could make it up, one God incident that was really notable was the way all the readings spoke to me. So one of the readings was actually, like I said earlier, Zechariah receiving this message from the angel Gabriel. But I've also just been using those readings and that time at Mass to just spiritually enter into Advent by, I realized, partaking in this amazing act of going to mass and then driving back and realizing it's still dark. So it it really feels like this neat moment of getting to pray and spiritually prepare for Christmas really in the stillness of the night because, you know, six o'clock in the morning when you're driving down still feels like night and it still feels really silent. So I think that's been a really good way God's been speaking to me and, and really privileging me uh, with every day that I've been able to go with the, with what he always offers us in the Eucharist and in the Liturgy of the Word at Mass. What about you, Rachel? Oh, there's just been so much happening, I think. You know, in the Advent season, there's God incidences all around us. <laughs> and wow, I think that one of the God incidences that have come recently is just a friend of mine who recently had her baby. I had an opportunity to share in their joy and spend some time with them. And it's just, I feel like it's an appropriate God incident in this moment to just be able to rejoice in life itself and just the birth of a new baby around Christmas time. It's just always so sweet or sweeter. I don't know what it is, but it's just, you know, being around the same time as baby Jesus was born, it just helps you to get into the spirit of welcoming a new life and welcoming Jesus into the world. And so it just makes that miracle that much more greater to be pondering on the, the birth of the infant Jesus and then to see the birth of a new baby into the world and especially, you know, into your friend or family circle. It just, it's just such a gift. And so praying for them and praying for their baby and all the women who are currently pregnant at this time or expecting or trying to conceive a baby as well. And just really praying for all women right now who have that desire to be a mother, who are a mother, or 
who perhaps even have lost a child and know what that feels like, really praying to all of you right now. And I am just so eager to get to Christmas Day. So with that, I think we'll move to our final prayer with the Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Merry Christmas from us at the podcast at the well, and we hope that it has been a fruitful advent for all of you and that Christmas will be a beautiful time with your family and friends. As Rachel said, we wish you all a very Merry Christmas. And since episode will actually be on Mary at the manger and reflections on the nativity, we hope that while you're spending Christmas with your family and your loved ones, that you can use our episode to spiritually reflect on that life-changing night when Jesus was born. Thank you, everyone, and God bless.